Hey everyone, before we jump into the show, if you guys could share your feedback with me and Andrew at support at seicho.com.au and seicho is spelled S-E-I-C-H-O.com.au, that would be fantastic. Also, this podcast is best enjoyed at 1.5 times. Enjoy. Welcome to the Seicho Podcast. Today we have a guest who used to be a tech lead in ING, was solution architect in AMP and ANZ, then co-founded Spaceship in 2016, and now he's a VP of growth at UpGuard, which is a cybersecurity monitoring company. I'll let him talk a little bit more, but welcome Koshik. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. We have Andrew and David, like as usual. Yep. Hey guys, how are you going? But today, like, I, I really want to get started because um, yeah, man. you were in engineering at yeah. one point and then started your own company in Spaceship. Yep. How did that, how what did happened that happen? there? Like, yeah, how, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm happy to tell you a bit about myself. So I uh, am a software engineer. I graduated in 2002, 2000, 2003, I should remember that, <clears throat> with an engineering degree. It was just in the middle of the tech crash. It was a bad time to have a software degree. As a kid, I always wanted to work at Google. So you yeah, know, that's why that's why I got into computers. Well, before that, it was Microsoft. Then it was Google. Then I graduated, and then there were no jobs. So I ended up working at a bank, like most of my compatriots <laughs> in that in that. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it was an interesting time. So I ended up at Westpac, and then um, found myself at ING, as you said, yeah. which is a, which in in the superannuation business, which is weird. Because there, there wasn't anyone younger than, you know, 35, 40. And I'm this 22, 23, 23-year-old kid wow. who's coming into this sort of software development role at a super fund. And I kind of spent, you know, over 10 years in that world, as you said, going from company to company, progressing through sort of the technology hierarchy. I got to the middle of the hierarchy. I made it to the middle of the ladder and then I sort of fell off because I just couldn't do it anymore. I kind of was, was thinking, especially when I was... I won't say which companies, but certainly at one of the companies I was working at, I used yeah. to think, uh, I, don't, I don't feel like this is the best deal for customers. I felt like most people cared deeply about their super and about their long-term future. And certainly internally, the companies had a view on that and appreciated it, but they were unable to translate that into actual change. So whether that's because of share market pressure, whether that's because of management apathy, I don't know what it is. Couldn't get things done at those companies that would really, really be good for customers. So in 2016 or 2015, as you said, I, I actually left yeah. AMP yeah. and I went back to coding because I thought, well, there, there's another thing which is which I've learned along the way, which is like if you spend enough time at a big company, yeah. you'll pretty much lose all your concrete skills. You'll be a professional meeting goer, a presentation giver, <laughs> talk yeah. attender, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And yeah, you, do, you don't really you don't really do anything. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd sort of I'd sort of gained myself into a position where yeah, like yeah. the skills I started with, I had basically kind of lost. Yeah. Having said that, when you get if you are an engineer, then getting back into it, and if you understand computer science, when you get back into it, the concepts haven't changed. Mm. The technology has changed. So anyway, I went to consulting with a good friend of mine, Dave Kuhn, who was actually... So there are two people or three people, I can think of two off the top of my head who were very early on instrumental in getting me into startups. One of them is my friend Dave and the other one is Mike. Mike, who's one of the co-CEOs of UpGuard. They were um, early... Um, Dave was in the first batch of Startmate, Mike, which, and UpGuard were in the second batch of Startmate. That's great. And I remember like floating around Sydney trying to go to startup events in 20, <laughs> 2009 and 2010 and getting all oh. kinds of weird app ideas and it's like hey there's this thing called an iPhone and you can here's an app you can find where to go hiking on the weekend it's like yeah how are you gonna make money dude it doesn't matter it's like yeah okay 
sure. So there's all these weird, weird things going on yeah, in that yeah, time, yeah. and then, and then there, but there was something happening with Startmate with Nikki yeah. and and all those guys. Dave got in, and he was my coworker at the time, and we'd stayed in touch over the years. He'd gone to the states, he'd come back, and then in 2015 I left AMP, and then I went to work with him in a small consultancy and started programming again, which was awesome. Nice. So got you know like having ducked out of coding like 10 years earlier, mm. dropped back into it, the whole world had changed, and I had to learn a whole bunch of new stuff really, really yeah. fast. Yeah. Fast forward to a year later, 2016, the spaceship opportunity came around. So yeah. Dave and I met up with a guy, Andrew Sellen, and we were introduced to Paul Bennett's as well. The four of us decided to start Spaceship. Crazy journey, raised a seed round with Mike Cannon Brooks as lead investor. Couldn't ask for a better shot at it, really. It was awesome. We grew a wait list off the back of that. And one of the things we did really well at Spaceship was target an audience, a specific audience early on, mm. and really focus in on, like hone in on a, a group of people. Yeah. And when we launched, we had explosive growth for about three to six months. It went really, really well. It was a really, really great journey. About two years into Spaceship, though, I was um, having my sec. My family's having my our second kid. Yeah. It was getting a bit intense. I'd kind of. <laughs> it's really weird when you co-found a company. You end up in a role. You start off doing stuff that's really fun, and then you might end up in a role where you're like, ah, oh, this is actually really boring. Yeah. It's, it's unusual, but uh, because not many, not everyone starts a company. But it can definitely happen. So all the fun right. stuff was being done by other people and I was doing compliance and legal and HR. And, and I've, I've always been interested in cybersecurity, which is weird because it's who's interested in that, but because of my previous work at banks and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'd always been close to Mike and the UpGuard team. And so when they tapped me on the shoulder, I was like, yeah, I should do this. This is really, and I really, really love growth. Yeah. So it's like the perfect combination of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Look, I jumped and talk. here I am. Let's talk a little bit about the waitlist, because yeah, um, yeah. that's that's like one of these like case studies that like whenever you hear like growth talks, someone's gonna fucking mention it. Yeah, like, I know, man. I think, I think we have a few times it. as well when we've uh, the spaceship waitlist. I'll tell you the real. I'll tell you what really happened. Oh, tell, it was a yeah, bit great, crazy. Great, great, it was great. a bit crazy. We kind of had the seed, the seed round, and we yeah. got Mike to say yes, and we closed the seed round, and then we sort of prepared to do some standard PR stuff. And Dave and I hacked together a quick waitlist app so it was just you guys didn't have a product at the time right? uh, we were pre-product mm. so this was purely on the idea yeah it was purely on the idea and then right. obviously he's banking on the team right? yes yeah, exactly okay. yeah so we had a proposition for what the product would be we had some you know based on the market size like what we thought we could do yeah like, what the business would look like yeah. have you submitted your applications yet as well like your your sub fund like all your compliance stuff no, this no, is this is pre. Well, we had a we had an in principle agreement with yeah, a trustee yeah. to to launch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But we did not have, and we didn't end up working with those guys. We worked with a different group in the end, but we did not have a, a deal inked. Yeah. So it was pretty. It was pretty early. Hey, shout out to <laughs> you guys. Yeah, I don't know. Together. I don't know. Could have hustle, right? Yeah. Well, arguably, you, you might do things differently this time around. <laughs> but but we were we were early to that game, so okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. it's easy in hindsight. Twenty twenty is the best. Yeah, yeah. Best yeah. answer. No, no, I got to. You, I got you. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, maybe yeah. we would have done things different. Maybe we would have stayed at my job longer. Whatever. But um, and always self doubt. Like yeah, as soon as yeah. you start believing your own bullshit, you're in trouble. <laughs> huge self doubt. It's like oh, I could have done that better. But the waitlist was cool. Like we we set up a little a crappy little app with one field, which was you know an email field and. <laughs> And then we did a little bit of basic uh, press. And then I think someone on Twitter, someone tweeted it. I think it might've been Nikki from Blackbird or someone tweeted it. And then Mike retweeted it. And then it just went bananas. Right. Yeah. As in people were just sharing it and it went, it went viral. It started from Twitter. 
Yeah, shown on Twitter. Interesting. Oh, sick. Yeah. yeah, that was really interesting. I mean, I was not... Exp- I had Twitter. No, guys, I had no idea. Like, I'm mm. a corporate guy who's kind of come into this world knowing yeah. about it, having read about it, being interested in it, but then it was actually happening. And you're like, holy shit. Yeah. And the sign-ups just kept coming in. Are these mostly Australian sign-ups or did you have to deal with international? Nearly 100% Australian. We had internationals as well, but, you know, you politely turn them away. And yeah, it exploded. It was it was crazy. Yeah. We juiced it with Facebook ads as well. Yeah, yeah. Always oh, saw those. Yeah. Yeah, everyone did. <laughs> Again, hindsight, we would have done things knowing now how paid works. Back then, we didn't know how paid worked. So mm. we just kind of did all yeah. the dumb stuff that... You, you guys just went hard out, like you just you just pushed it as far as you um, possibly At the could. time, we didn't have the money to push. Yeah. We did that did come later, um, but we did certainly amplify our reach yeah. using paid in those early days. Yeah, it was insane. It mm. it grew really really fast. Mm. I think having the the name of Mike and the tech support of the tech community yeah. just shows if you can get a community to rally around you. If they want something, then you can yeah then you can give it to them. Then, then then it will grow, if that makes sense. You can't make people want something. Yeah. They have to want it. So supposedly, that this is a, a rumour I heard, I'm not sure if it's true, that you guys actually went through a couple of iterations of messaging. So, you, yep. you know, Jane Liu was at one point on your, trying to get, you know, her followers. And then like, it turns out that it was just the tech community. How many iterations did you guys go through like to figure out oh, like that? We probably went through, I would say, 10 or 20 iterations easily yeah. within six months. Yeah. It was very, very full on. We're testing multiple ad sets. Yeah, with different... So like with Jane, as a photo of Jane, photos of different people, different copy on the ads. Did, did you guys get her to invest as well? Or was it just more like tapping on the shoulders? Like, she hey. ultimately did invest, okay. but later. Okay. Right. So she did, she did invest in the company and I think she did transfer some of her super across, but I can't remember. I don't, don't quote me on that one. Yeah, yeah. That That's one cool. I'm not sure about. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. Um, so we, we've all heard how viral that one went because I was one of the first, like I was one of the, uh, the uh, I guess, earlier guys that put my email through and went through the whole experience. Of like, oh, you're in group, this, 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 this. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like, I think the next thing that I wanted to ask is, uh, and I think a lot of people have questions is, how do you actually convert them? Because hmm. this is the most, pro- uh, this is kind of a common problem, right? So we can get a fuck ton of leads, yep, good or bad, right? Just a crap ton of them, yep. But converting them is a problem, or like helping them stay on the platform is a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, the first question is like, well, how did you actually? What was the process of converting them? Because moving your super over is not easy. Well, the government at the time had introduced some technology that made it easier. I worked on that when I was at AMP. So oh, with, nice. with all the other funds. So that was part of the, the reason it clicked in my head. It's like, oh, holy shit, we're building an API where you can plug in your details and just consolidate all your super into a mm. fund. And all the other funds would have to comply with that request. It was a pretty big deal. Um, so we had an API that we could use to convert people, to, to pull people's super into one account. At the time, we, didn't, we were not that strategic about how we converted people. Looking back on it, what I would have done differently is, you know, if you've, if you've got that many people to work with, you would, you would slow down. You, you, what we did was we, we compressed the time frame and, and I don't want to use, the, probably the word burned is a strong word, but we went through those people very quickly. Yeah. There was an opportunity there to test different sets of messaging, different tactics, figure out a hero, like hero messaging, and then use that yeah, yeah. to do a better job. Yeah. So certainly that, that was the lesson I took away from Spaceship and certainly... We're getting better at that at UpGuard, mostly in terms of our outbound, like our outreach. Yeah, it's like 
don't just blast every cybersecurity professional in the world mm. with one message. Actually test different cohorts or different batches and see what actually works. And we should have done that. And it's not that hard to do. You can do it with a Google Sheet. Yeah. Well, seriously, like you don't need some sophisticated product. You just yeah. need a Google Sheet and MailChimp yeah. or Autopilot or some other emailing platform. I think sometimes people get like so wound up by the tool or the stack that they have. Yeah. Like most of the time, it's probably not even the stack. It's probably just the, you know, it honestly is, is the person on the other end controlling it. It's mm. like, you, I can make, like, we, like, there are people who can make MailChimp look like the most sophisticated, like, tool ever. <laughs> like, totally. Um, Lots of businesses built on MailChimp, hey? Yeah. Lots of businesses. Yeah, yeah 100%. I um, agree with you. And the, 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 the stack thing is always, at Spaceship, we had more of a best of breed stack, I would say. Oh, yeah, we, yeah, so for each, this, yeah. yeah, so for each sort of capability, we had, like, the best tool for it. Yeah. And then your problem is integration. Uh -huh. Like it's 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 actually your data gets spread everywhere. You've got ten copies of your customer information. Yeah. Then you got to build all this tech to bring it all together. Yeah. Mm. At UpGuard, we run nearly everything off HubSpot. Yeah. Hundred percent. And so, kind of at times, you're like, man, this HubSpot feature is pretty shit compared to you know product X Y Z. Yeah. But hey, it's all in one place, and if I click on a customer, I can see everything yeah. related to that customer, which helps our sales team a lot. Yeah. So I don't know what's better. It depends what stage you're at. But certainly best of suite. I call it the best of suite. So the best suite gets gives you a lot of leverage when you're on your own, like yeah. I was when I started at UpGuard. Yeah. Basically on my own as the first member of the growth team. Pretty hard to do if you're trying to manage 20 different products. Yeah. And Spaceship was tough for that. Like that wasn't one of the things we probably could have done better as well. Yeah. It's just pick a product, pick a stack and just stick to it. So you discover growth in spaceship yeah for the very first time well no i knew about it because i'd read some book you know read all the cliched startup books like <laughs> what, what, what were some of the books that you hatching read twitter to? and oh, what's the airbnb one the upstarts uh, zero to one which is still actually probably that's not probably, probably, favorite. Favorite. That's probably you yeah. could read that it's so dense teals mm. the way he thinks about everything is quite complicated and quite dense hard things what was it the hard things about hard things, hard things about hard, hard things hard i always forget the name yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all the cliched books I'd, I'd read by that point yeah. and also just been interested in tech and growth for years so mm. i knew what it was but i didn't know how you know yeah the, the the cool thing about growth though is like it's all there on the it's all there for free on the internet <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely you, like it's just your own laziness stopping you from learning stuff and <laughs> yeah. that's 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 directed at me by the way yeah. just like just I, stay on top of your craft and your business and you'll yeah. be fine this is not some that's what i love about it though it's like yeah. if you go work at a law firm or something there's all these secrets mm. there's all these ba artificial <laughs> barriers you know you need a degree yeah. you need a suit and a tie yeah you need the right uh private school you need the right resume it's like yep. none of that bullshit exists this is just you can you can do you can do anything you like in the tech world if you are willing to go on the internet, Google things, read them, and try yeah, them out. And try them, yeah. right? I, I think the thing about it is like, I think one of the last questions I will have later on that I'll yeah. ask is like, you know, the, your advice for people who want to get into growth, but you know, we'll touch on this a little bit right now because we're on topic. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's just a matter of like trying things, like taking that first step, big or small, like, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe, you know, start a shop, sell some shit. You're, if you can sell some shit, in a way you're kind of growing a company. Yeah, you know, know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't have to be so difficult that like, oh, I have to be in a startup and work in a growth team. It doesn't have to be like that. It feels risky because you're addicted to an income, your income, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, an income is like crack. 
and the bigger stability. it gets, your expense profile gets bigger. Yeah. And therefore, you need more income to feed that. So uh-huh. you can earn 500K a year. Yeah. I never have. I'm just saying if you could earn 500K a year and be unhappy and poor, you just have a better watch and fancier clothes and a nice car, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you want to build wealth, you've got to like invest in yourself and you've got to invest in businesses. You've got to own stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You have equity and things and you've yeah. got to... And you've got to take that, I'm using quotes here, risk. And you're not, you're not risking homelessness. I mean, there are so many worse places to be in life. 100%. There's nothing stopping you, as you say, from having a go. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the biggest stopper is really yourself. But on the topic Absolutely. of, you know, talking about happiness and so on and so forth, I think one of the toughest battles, at least in growth, is kind of like the, the mental troughs when, like, nothing's fucking happening. Yeah. Like, nothing's working. And I can't imagine, I, I, you know, so supposedly in Spaceship, Peter Thiel invested later on mm. as well. So I can imagine like the pressure coming from, you know, the investors side really pushing you guys to, you know, to, to work really fucking hard to make yeah. things work. And there's nothing wrong with that. How did you, how did you guys deal with, you know, one, rolling out or learning as quickly as possible? And then two, how do you, how do you guys like stay together and deal with the, the really tough mental parts? Whereas like, oh, the nine out of 10 didn't fucking work. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I'll start with the, the staying together bit. You have, to, you have to back each other and you have to you know, support each other through it. The pressure comes, it can be, it's entirely reasonable when people give you their money. To, it's an investment, they expect a return on that investment. Yeah. You, you've taken it on, you need to deliver. That's completely reasonable. But it's also... It's also if you are the kind of person that takes ownership and accountability, you apply the pressure to yourself because mm-hmm. you want to deliver, right? Like yeah. it's not just some other person yelling at you. You're actually trying to get it. <laughs> you actually want an outcome. So there's so so the self-imposed pressure is actually much harder to deal with, and that's where you really need support. You need to support each other. You need a bit of support from outside. One thing I've learned from being a founder is like your family and friends are not. They don't. Re- they're not really going to get it. And it's not really fair to bring them in, especially your family. It's not mm. fair to go home and dump on your wife and your kids or your husband or your partner. Yeah. Because you know what I mean? Like you're just taking it home with you. Yeah. So you do have to find other ways to externalize. And it's mostly with your team, to be honest. And that's how you build trust within your team. You have to talk to your, the rest of your team. You have to yeah. help them appreciate what you're going through. But then also that motivates them to help yeah. you. Is, um, it, is that the what company, you guys ultimately. did? Yeah, well, that's what I do. Like, that's what you have to do. I mean, it it happens at any job though, right? Like you do any job, if you have a team, you're under pressure to deliver. You have to be open and transparent with your team. And then you'll get the best out of them as well because then you build trust and empathy that way. So trying to do that better and better, that's like one of the core skills, I think. It's trying to just figure out how to uh, get your team motivated, how to support them, how to get them to support you, Mm. and and then achieve your goal. That's at any job, I think. It's yeah. not a growth thing. From that point of view, you know, like I, I've always thought thought of things as a little bit more like, oh, you know, if you're a little bit more vulnerable with your team, you know, like you let them in on like what's exactly happening, yeah. then it's a little easier for people to, to grind through things or even yeah. trust you with, you know, like trust you to make the right decision. Whereas like on the other end, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm generalizing, but there is that masculinity part where like, oh, we've got to put up a front. I'm not fucking scared. I'm always prepared. Everything's always good. You know, you know what I'm saying? As agreed, like, agreed. In some respects though, as a founder, you are an actor. You have to be. You have to pretend that everything's okay. Yeah. So I, 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 I agree with you, but then I also think the fa- founders are kind of, you're putting on a suit. It's just a, a human suit. Every time you go to work, <laughs> everyone's... If, People, people really read into what you say and do. Yeah, something yeah. I've noticed. Yeah. It's like a frown or a, 
or a smile or a careless remark that yeah. can seem a bit aggressive can really, really impact someone's day. Yeah. So you've got to be really careful of how mm. you project yourself. And that and for founders and CEOs and at, at the top level of management, any company, that is important. Yeah. People are relying on you to be stable as well as show controlled vulnerability, as you said. It's weird. It's really weird. So, I, I recommend everyone try it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually really hard. Especially if you're used to just blah, just saying whatever you think. <laughs> Which, you know, is a good thing to do, being transparent. But it's not always what you want to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> so actually this is an interesting segue because one of the questions that we always had that I actually always wanted to ask you is how is it different that, you know, you were co-founder of your own company, you, you you know, you're trying to grow that company versus growing someone else's company, which is where you are now. Yeah, right? like, it's a good question. There's, there's a lot of similarities, I'll say. There's a lot of overlap, obviously. I did it in a specific order. So I don't know whether it would be different if I was, a gro- you know, working a growth in a company and then started a company. Yeah. I think that might be easier. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I think you've got a test bed to learn. You've got the support of a team. You've got mm. an established infrastructure to learn from when mm-hmm. you're at a job. Yeah. When you're a found first time founder, you're thrown in the deep end. And I certainly see that when I deal with founders now. Mm. It's like, wow, it's a lot of stuff to learn and it only gets learned the hard way. I think as a founder there's more one of the one of the challenges is it's not just growth, unfortunately. Yeah. For you to do growth means something else has to slip usually. Like whether it's I don't know, let's make it up. For me it was like all the operational stuff at Spaceship, like compliance legal finance hr all those things and then it's like well if i don't do those things no one will do them whereas for growth we have a team so it's like prioritizing is really hard yeah um when you're a found in a founder context and you have to get good at delegating and and finding good people and motivating them what i like about doing growth at a company now is i just focus on this and like every week i just come in and tackle a new problem it's very 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 satisfying if you like what you're doing yeah Let's talk a little bit about UpGuard because yeah, now sure. that now that we're talking about you know like growing someone else's company for the people who don't understand what UpGuard is, what is UpGuard? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, UpGuard's a cybersecurity company. Yeah. Um, we sell cybersecurity software to companies who are interested in protecting themselves from cyber attacks, which is at just about every company. Yes. <laughs> and what we do is we do a couple of things, but if you encapsulate it all, we automatically monitor your company for breaches and, and cyber risks. Mm. We don't just monitor your company, but we also monitor your suppliers. Because if you're gonna get breached, it could either be your own people that do it, it could also be a supplier that you have mm. that does it. Yeah. Um, so we automate a bunch of the processes around managing supplier cybersecurity risk for suppliers. And we also automatically scan your company for data leaks and data breaches. We're probably most famous for a couple of things. One of them is that the original issue with Facebook was the Cambridge, was the Cambridge Analytica data leak. We mm. discovered that yeah. along with other researchers. So we that has been a huge journey. We've, you know, our researchers have testified at US Senate hearings, UK Parliament. We've been published in reports for that one. And yeah, so it's been a really, really interesting journey with UpGuard. The company's been through everything you could ever imagine. I started about a year ago, just yeah. over a year ago. Yeah. When I started, yeah, I had one. I had I had a PR person and me, and in growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so kind of just slowly building the team. Yeah. And brought on some really great people to help out over that time, and started to sort of figure out. So we've definitely been. It takes about a year to get into a job. So after a year, I'm like, oh, this is actually going quite well. You can only really look back. <laughs> I, I, no, I feel okay about it. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. You know, 
not freaking, I'm not quietly panicking like I was for the first six months, yeah, shall yeah. we say. Because yeah. that's the other thing with growth is like, when you start a new gig in, in marketing, in, in marketing in general, you, you are quietly panicking for a while. Uh, yeah. There's a lot to learn. Usually something's wrong or yeah. something needs to be fixed. Mm. That's why you're here. And if you if you don't get it right, well, you're out. You know, yeah. Yeah. it's pure capitalism, right? There's what? no... It's very measurable. Sometimes I like I look at the engineers. I'm like, damn, I wish I was an engineer again. Because <laughs> they just do this. They do their sprints. They got their they got their cadence. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty pretty unclear whether they're doing. I mean, they're doing a great job, no doubt. But yeah, if they have a bad week, whatever. With me, I have to front up every week with my metrics, and if yeah. they're bad that week, I have to explain why. I mean, just, I I think the good thing is like I can't say for like most engineering teams, but like some engineering teams certainly from the valley has moved towards like you know, a growth engineering team where it's like, oh, you know, if we deploy and we ship these code, is it gonna, are we gonna have any uptake? Are we Are we gonna improve our bottom line at all? True. Yeah, they're optimizing the shit out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's good. I don't know if that's always good. Like, I think growth should drive product, but I think users should drive product. Like, so you, you're now hearing stories of it's like, well, the growth team asks us to do this, frankly, annoying thing inside mm. the product yeah, yeah. to get more users. And that is a business imperative, yeah, yeah. right? But then, our existing users are getting pissed off. So I think that finding the balance between that is, yeah. is the key, isn't it? I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think um, maybe I'll take that back in terms of I agree. I think I share the same sentiment in terms of the user and the market will pull the product out of you. And I think product teams are very good at creating new value. I think growth teams are really good at connecting users with value. It's, I don't necessarily think that like all oh, growth teams are kind of creating value. It's more like connecting users with existing value that the product team has created. Because then like, it, it's hard for growth people to, to really, I think we're good at, I can't speak for other people, but I really think that we're really good at like, you know, growing metrics and like yeah. taking action where it's necessary to connect people with the right core product experience. Yep. But in terms of building core product experience, I think that's a completely separate, it's a completely separate topic, like where, or, you know, understanding what the customers really want, what is a need versus a want, and then like, how do you ship the minimum viable I don't want to talk about MVP because people are going to get sensitive over shit like this. But you know, oh, I think it's a, I think like it's that. a true thing. I think an MVP is a real thing. Yeah. I think we've to link it back to what we've done at UpGuard. Probably two, three years ago, we launched an MVP mm. of the products I was describing to you earlier. Mm. The detecting cyber risks and discovering data breaches. That was an MVP product, mm. and in two, three years, it's blown up. Like it's yeah, it's yeah. doing really well. Yeah. Um, they did a really, really good job yeah. at. They, they had a really good hypothesis for that initial product. But it was a complete product. Like yeah. you could sell it. It's a sellable product, not just a usable. Yeah, that's. And viable should mean that. It should mean yeah. viable viability is around like, can you make a business out of this product, mm. yeah. or even start a business? And so we did that well here, and it's starting to pay off now. Now the products are like, holy crap, this is actually quite big. Now this is hard. Now you got the opposite problem, which is, hey, it's gone all these different directions. Yeah. We now need to consolidate and simplify the messaging. Like, what's the one-liner? Yeah. What's the pitch yeah. for this product? Yeah. Well, we, we talked about this in our conversation, mm. but not a lot of people know that like UpGuard, uh, part of UpGuard's growth came from PR. Yes. And that's still Hugely. the engine. It's one of the one of the key weapons in the arsenal at yeah. UpGuard. Yeah. Yeah. And the PR effective and dangerous. The media will put you up one day and then they'll pull you down another day because the narrative works that way. And so one of the effective tactics for PR is not making it about you or your company or your investors and all that other stuff, oh. but it's it's about your work. 
So if you're in the medical industry, then it's about the study that, you ha- that you've conducted that mm. shows a certain, you know what I mean? So yeah. you're actually, it's the work that you're doing that is generating the interest from the journalist, which means that they will write a story about right. it. As opposed to, yeah, we raise money or, hey, look at the CTO. He's a really smart guy. She, yeah. She's a really smart person or whatever. Mm. So we're good at, at researching and finding topics that are really interesting to journalists and getting, and then they write about it. Yeah. And we've had some amazing success like we've been published in the new york times the washington post bloomberg every yeah it's it's insane do you guys have a process for that in terms of like thinking about what topics to research and actually write about because that's that's a fundamental content marketing issue right like yeah. okay so what the fuck do we write about yeah. i can write about almost anything or do a bunch of keyword research so on and so forth how do you guys approach that yeah we have a team of people of researchers around the world who are integra- who actually do work that goes into our product. So we automate a bunch of things they do and then, and they do some things by hand. Some things cannot yet be automated. Yeah. In their spare time, not spare time, but as part of their job, they also yeah. find unique insights into what they're into companies that they've that they're researching and looking for leaks and breaches and stuff like that. And oh. so then we have a process around how we turn that into PR if we want to. Oh wow. Hmm. So, so it's like your so we so our researchers provide us the fuel and then we assess and decide whether we should uh, turn that into a story or not. So and it's a pretty topic. tough process because it's you know you got to be careful with this stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, we're in cybersecurity. It's not we're not mucking around. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there's yeah. people's reputations. Uh-huh. We're very very careful about how we do that. Yeah. That work. Part of the secret sauce. Yeah. How so with PR? How did you like? One, how do you capitalize on that? It's a spike, right? It's like, you know, get up to that point, you spike and then you drop. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you make the most of any PR? And and then in a second, we'll, we'll, you know, I really wanted to ask you about managing bad PR. Yeah. Because that's a separate skill on its own. That's an interesting question. In terms of managing the spike, so one of the long tail benefits of PR, if done well, is backlinks. So if you get backlinks from the New York Times and the Washington Post, that that's yeah, that's, that's, that's great. That's, that's, that's a nice authority backlinks. That's, 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 that's really nice. Yeah. Bloomberg, they're really hard to get. Yeah, I mean, talking about a fucking economic moat. Yeah, <laughs> that's what true exactly. defensibility is. Yeah, and it's really really hard to to copy that um, unless you've got something compelling that a New York Times journalist wants to write about. Mm. So we. So that's one of I see that as a very good long tail benefit. Mm. You write about the it's peaky, it's it spikes a lot, and so we're working on that problem now. That, so that's something we haven't actually solved yet. Okay. We do get residual traffic on when when we've disclosed a breach or or a report or whatever. Yeah. But it's not as it's not as much as I'd like. That's something that I'm working on now. It's yeah. quite interesting to solve that one. And I think it's got to do with internal linking, creating new content that references the old content. There are there are tactics we can use there. It's still really it's still original content. So yeah, yeah. Google rates it highly, shall we say? Yeah. So if you search for like Verizon breach, you'll find an UpGuard article yeah. really really close to the top. Yeah. You'd be surprised that that, that term alone will get like a thousand two thousand hits a month. People are really really interested in cybersecurity. Mm. It's just whether you get the right people or not. Yeah. So you're kind of trying to this weird balancing act between trying to get just raw numbers of clicks and then also and that, that helps your, that lifts all the boats. Yeah. So that, that lifts all your articles up and then you're trying to get the right clicks as well. So PR is a really awesome, for us, it's an awesome awareness tactic, you know? Yeah. So it gives us universal awareness in cybersecurity. So obviously being a B2B, what, what other channels are you kind of looking into as well? Obviously, you know, the, yeah. when, when most people think of B2B, it's like, oh, LinkedIn's in there. Like, but is there yeah. anything else that you're kind of maybe doing that might be a bit, you know, off center or a little bit different, like that you're kind of 
I don't know about off center at this stage. We're doing a lot of LinkedIn mm-hmm. now, um, and that's starting to work really well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Outreach, that is. Yep. And content marketing has been really good for us. Mm-hmm. We've, if you Google like GitHub versus Bitbucket, you'll get our article as number one. It's been there for years. It's not a very. It's you know. It's, 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 it's an okay article. It looks a bit crap on a phone. I'm really surprised. But we were there first and we wrote the first, one of the early authoritative pieces on that. Yeah. And so we just kind of sit there. So SEO is a big channel for us. Paid ads, eh, they're okay. They're kind of good for... Google is kind of good. That probably comes on the back of like content marketing, right? Like it comes you on, pay ads yeah. on content marketing. It does. And there are certain keywords, there are certain terms that show like pretty strong intent and we bid on those. And then non-traditional... Yeah, we're not we're not that non-traditional, I would say. Something that would be fun to do is like a late night TV ad, and we've joked about this internally. Oh, <laughs> like I want to do a late night cybersecurity TV ad. Yeah, actually, that's not. I can't take credit. I think that's Mike's idea, but we've he's got a concept for it. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's like All a right. funny late night ad for small business owners who oh, are like yeah. staying up late trying to do their accounts <laughs> <laughs> and watching some weird show in the background. So we've yeah. got that idea. So, it's, so maybe that one will come through. Yeah, so more weird stuff like that would be good. There isn't mm. as much crazy weird stuff in, in um, B2B marketing I've noticed. Mm. I mean, we're, we're out, we're con- I think we're considered out there because yeah. we don't do like events we don't sponsor conferences. Mm. It's like you've got. I don't know that. Maybe that works. Maybe when know. you're big, when you yeah. like got enough money to burn. One of the tactics that is interesting, or one of the tricks that might work for some people is, if you've got VC-funded competitors that have taken tens of millions of dollars, yeah, they kind of promote your product for you, or they promote the category, right? Yeah. Mm. Then you've got to find a way to like stick on the back of them, and then try and right take away. their find a, <laughs> yeah find yeah. a way to get your points of differentiation in the hands of a buyer who's mm. thinking about buying Big Coast product, right? Yeah, yeah. If you can find a way to get your points of differentiation in front of that buyer, they'll come to you a lot of the time. So you can effectively leverage other people's marketing budget. A Cora. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, that, that's the story there, you know? So that's a good one for B2B. If yeah. you have big funded competitors and you're trying to compete with smaller budgets, smaller team, yeah. is leverage what they do. Like yeah. why, why not, right? It's not a bad thing. I mean, yeah. I, sometimes I think we we'll get so caught up looking at competitors that we're just like, oh, what are they doing? We should do that too. Exactly. Well, why don't we just jump on their boat? You know, like, on that, moving on to the bad PR. Yeah. That's rough. Um, yeah, that is rough. I think there are things you can do to mitigate the effect of bad PR. I think one of the, the if you ever in that situation, it is really hard to get out of, I would say, because in the same way that positive backlinks from news articles help you, mm. negative backlinks also stick, which is really unfortunate. It's really hard to dislodge a, a newspaper, right? Yeah. yeah. If, if they've got an article about your brand that isn't very favorable. One thing that does help, I think, is time, honestly. Yep. If something bad happens, time helps. Time yeah. heals all wounds, as they say. Yeah, yep. lick the wounds, yep. uh, build a new narrative, build a new story and then come out yeah. with that gradually. Change things, take mm. it on board. Bad PR is not usually, it's usually usually got to do some work in order to fix that. It's mm. not just superficial, right? Yeah. Now handling PR, I recommend like, if it's not natural to you, then get help with that, you know? Yeah. If you've not dealt with the press before, don't experiment with it. Yeah. <laughs> experiment, yeah, get, get, get help, ask for help, get advice. Get someone in, spend some money at yeah. first. Mm. Then when you get good at it, you need training. It's really hard. They're yeah. looking for something. They're always looking for something specific. The news is mostly, it's like entertainment these days. I mean, 
you know what I mean? It's mm. not really news anymore. It's it's been influenced by reality TV. It's been influenced by all the the craziness that goes on in the world. Mm. And negative stuff sells better than positive stuff. Mm. So just be really careful with that. Yeah. Is there anything that you need to do straight away to handle it upfront? Okay. So I think one of the ti- one of the tips I would give is to not is to control the message that you want to send yeah, if you yeah. are confronted with it. So get your quotes in writing. Don't get into a free-form conversation straight away with a journalist if you think that there's a negative, possibly a negative angle that they could be taking. Is a free-form conversation just like, oh, like me and you talking right now and then they're just writing things down? Yeah, well, there's no, it's hard to, like, you can say off the record and stuff, but it's hard to be completely off the record when you're speaking to someone. You can't control it. So yeah. if you want quotes, get your quotes in writing and position and respond that way. It's good advice. Yeah. Work slowly. Work on your own timeline, not their timeline as well. And not everything requires a comment. You know, if it's if you, if you don't want to comment, don't comment. Now the now the challenge is, of course, if you don't comment, then you don't have a then then they write that you didn't comment, and that can also hurt you as well. Yeah, yeah. That's why I say get help. Like I'm not an expert. It's just I'm, I, all I can tell you is it's really hard, and you have to be really careful. If something negative comes out, you've got to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get an agency. Get a person. Yeah. We have a person at UpGuard. It's full-time PR. We don't have negative. I'm knocking on the table. <laughs> we haven't had too much negative PR, but she's really good. Like, she's an expert. I wouldn't do what she does, which is, like, deal with Bloomberg journalists and manage messaging and knowing what to push and what you can't say, knowing how to mm. get things done in that world. Yeah. That's my view. And that's because I don't know what I'm doing in that world. People probably feel that same way. PR people feel that way about engineering, right? It's like, oh, watch out. Coding is really hard. You know what I mean? So it's rare to find someone who can do all of the things that are needed, even in a marketing or a growth team, let alone in a company. The one thing that I'm scared of the most is fucking PR. (laughs) No, seriously. Like most things, you know, like, yeah, I I can manage, I can learn. You got to pick your battles. Yeah, Yeah. that's just one thing that I'm like, no. (laughs) It's not where you experiment on. It's like, oh, you know, if you, you know, with growth experiments, you run the bad one, you're like, oh, okay, we learned something from it, let's move on. Mm. With PR, it's like you mess it up, it's like, oh, dude, there's no turning back. Yeah. You have to either roll with it or like figure a way out. And yeah, I don't know. When when a story ships, it's shipped. Yeah. yeah, And it's like stamped. Yeah, in stone forever <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so so you know if it's a good story then great if it's position positions you negatively then that's not so great yeah mm. there are a lot of people who are interested in getting into growth not quite like not really sure one how to get into it and two whether they have a true understanding of it so maybe let's go with like what's what's your understanding of what growth is and then let's talk about like if if someone was to you know get out of uni they thought about this and they want to move into growth into the future how would you go about at least building up to that hard for me to define what growth is really i think it's like it for me it's like it's old-fashioned but marketing is still marketing and some companies have growth teams inside the marketing team and other teams just have a growth team other companies just have a growth team it kind of doesn't matter that's just semantics what probably matters is like i think you framed it quite well earlier which is like connecting people to value and i look at it like you're generating demand and you're satisfying the demand you know so like are you building demand for a service and then are you able to capture the value that you've just created that's the that's the role that i have at upguard Mm. is to build the demand and also to capture it and get it into a state where sales can actually work with it that's the way i look at growth like really really high level there's a whole bunch of skill sets that 
are required to do that. 100%. I think one of the tough things for marketing professionals is that it's become so tech. Like it's what, is, so, what do you mean as in like too tech driven? There's so much tech now in, okay. in marketing broadly. You either need like people who have engineer, an engineering mindset or an engineering background in mm. your team or you have to be one. It's actually a lot harder if you're not. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think especially around like nowadays the products is a little bit more, it's mostly, okay, that's a very generalized statement, but a lot of it have a tech component to their product. Yeah. Um, it's not brick and mortars and it's, even even if you're you know selling cupcakes online, there's a website and yes. you have to deal with the tech on the website. So, and especially software businesses, digital businesses where the website is the shop, yeah. is the shop front. So much of it is online now. It's like you're recording this podcast yeah. on a piece of audio software. Before they used to use tapes and stuff, and now you have to be. It's pretty tech. Yeah. In order to use, in order to record a podcast, you need to understand technology. So I mean it more in that sense rather than programming. Gotcha. So the, the, that world the world has changed. For people to get into growth, I think it isn't. Look, it's not that hard in a way. There are so many resources now that are, and they're getting better every year. Yeah. I think one thing that I'm going to jump back and forth I think one thing that is funny about growth now is like, like the Valley Twitter community is like at first it was all like paid ads and now everyone's like paid ads are shit <laughs> <laughs> paid ads are shit and everything's organic and then yeah. eventually the pendulum will swing back and there'll be some trend there'll be a third trend or something Yeah, I feel like none of those things are. whenever someone says something is shit and something else is good you have to question like what are they selling you or yeah. what are they trying to get <laughs> you to believe 100% yeah. so maybe, maybe the answer is like None of those things are true. Maybe the answer is that you yeah. have to you have to do what's right for the company and for the customers that you have. You have to really, really focus in on those customers. Yeah. So I think one thing that if you're interested in growth, you have to be interested in people yep. and what motivates people. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the most important thing. If that if you're a lawyer at a law firm and you're like, eh, I'm sick of looking at these contracts, but I'm really interested in like, why do people use Afterpay? What makes sense about that? Yeah. And if you start analyzing, if you find yourself reading more about, I'm just picking on Afterpay, you how does Afterpay work? What's the interest rate? Mm. How does all that, if you, if you start unpicking it, then maybe maybe you should get into growth. Yeah. Because if you're unpicking how products work and what's the economic incentive and what motivates a person to buy something, then growth and marketing in general is probably for yeah. you. That's a good way of putting it. No, honestly, it's such a good way. And of I've always it. been interested in that personally, always, yeah. like since mm. early on. But there wasn't a bucket to put that in in 1999. There wasn't a clear bucket for that. The marketing people were all off doing the four P's of marketing and all that kind of stuff, which I tried to study later, which is funny. I did a master's and I did like part-time, like half of it was marketing. Really? Yeah. So I did the marketing uni thing in 2005, I would yeah. say. Was it still four P's? Yeah, well, yeah, they expanded it to seven P's now because oh, it was the services P's, economy. Yeah, and I was like, okay. and it was kind of interesting, but I'm like, this is really abstract and really hard to relate to. Yeah, I did comm in in uni, and for anyone who's done comm, they have to do a marketing unit. Right. And I and I feel like the education on the marketing side is teaching people like how to be a CMO rather than like how to just grow something. Yeah. Like they're starting from top going down. I just I found it really hard to contextually apply it to businesses me uh, uh, businesses that i'm going to move into yeah like when i first started like it was like four p's you know value proposition that's not my job like that's kind of like the product team or the founder's role and then like it's my job to then translate the product into like messaging or, yeah. or you know find a way to deliver that messaging right yeah. so 
I think times has changed. I don't know about education though. Like yeah, I don't uni. know if the uni system has um, changed enough to adapt. I feel like you can come into this, into growth and marketing from a variety of entry points now. There yeah. is an engineering entry point. There's definitely a design entry point. Oh, yeah. So if you've got 100%. design skills. There's also a writing, if you're a writer, yep. you can get into this as Absolutely. well. Mm. But you've got to have one of the things. Yeah. It may not just be those three, I'm just making them up. Well, but I think yeah. like psychology is another one that's like, you know, if you can understand how people think, yes. that's another big one. Exactly. Yeah, so, and then yeah. you, you've got to come in with some core discipline that you can apply in a hands-on way, ideally, mm. that yeah. you can translate. So the psychology will translate into writing, probably, yeah. to persuasive messaging. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And then you can get other people to fill in the gaps where you're not good. Yeah. So I can't design for shit. You know, I'm a visually <laughs> illiterate person, <laughs> yeah. which is funny because my wife's an artist. Wow. So we have interesting conversation. But that's art. Art is totally different from design, as yeah, it turns out. I didn't realize this. Yeah. But art's more like self-expression, isn't it? It's not really Very much so. Yeah. And not necessarily with the same purpose of, as a designed piece. And certainly not corporate design. Anyway, we're talking about art now. <laughs> but like the purpose isn't to sell you something. Mm. The purpose is to express an emotion. So That's right. But then emotion works really well with advertising. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> turns out. But when I talk to my wife about it, she's right? like, it's not the same thing. Trust me, it's not the same thing. Yeah. And I can see it. I can see it now, yeah. but I'm visually illiterate, right? So I need help with that, yeah. but I can code and I can kind of write. So I can do a couple of those other buckets. Mm. But a marketing degree kind of doesn't give you those buckets to take to a tech company or a, you know, in the new economy, right? Like, mm. yeah. and that's where you want to be. You don't want to do marketing at, some, yeah. at Coca-Cola yeah. as a graduate. You want to be doing like marketing at Google as yeah. a graduate if you're, if you're going to a big company. Yeah. And they're looking for a totally different skill set to Coca-Cola. Although maybe Coca-Cola is a bad example. Let's pick Woolworths. Maybe also a bad example because all of these companies <laughs> are also changing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, so the, the corporate side of it will change quickly and I think the education side will take a while to keep up. There are a couple of things, a couple of courses that are quite going to be, I think, quite cool yeah. that are worth looking into. There's some guys called, an agency called Demand Curve based out of the US. Okay. They're, um, they do a lot of work with YC-backed companies. That's great. So Demand Curve are running like programs, like six to 12 week programs, for you to sort of boot camp style. A bit like, have you heard of Lambda School? The, it's a YC company, which is sort of like, they take them all, you know, in the US, you've got this crippling student debt problem. Oh yes. They yep. basically fund your computer science education and then you pay it, like our HEX system, when you earn an income, you pay them back slowly. So that alternative model of education is coming out in engineering, but it's also happening in growth. And yeah, the, the like, demand curve is really good. There's a couple of others. I can't remember off the top of my head. There's a couple of books that's really good to read. Yeah. Uh, like Hacking Growth. That's a really basic one that you can get into that you just get an idea of what growth could be. Agreed. Um, plenty of like Y Combinator content that is actually really relevant for growth people. Because um, yep. it's not always just marketing. There's a definitely engineering and product aspect to growth. Yep. Well, I think as a resource to Growth Tribe out there, I think they're from the Netherlands as well. It's really good. Like they always yeah. have some really good content on their YouTube channel. And I've heard the courses are really good as well. So, I mean, that's another one, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. For anyone who want to reach out to you and yeah. ask you questions, how do they get through to you? How do they find you? Easiest way is probably LinkedIn okay. and Twitter. Yeah. So Twitter, really? Yeah, I don't tweet much, but you, if you tweet, I mean, I tweet reasonably regularly, but I, I, I you know, I check every day. Okay. If you DM, if you just DM me on Twitter, I'm happy to have Everyone a chat. This is Twitter, but I, I think Twitter's great for news. Like I, again, I don't tweet on there, but if I want to get news, I always have. I love Twitter. Going. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You get all your information. Nothing I'm, wrong with Twitter. I was late to. I'm just shocked that Australians. Are, okay. 
there's, yeah. a, there's an emerging there's an it's good there's an emerging tech twitter scene in australia yeah, yeah. it's slow but it's happening okay and it's it's like the us is very vibrant and here it's slowly happening as well I'm late and a bit shit at Twitter, honestly. I'm an old guy, so I didn't get it at first. And okay. now I'm, I'm sort of getting into it. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Wait, mate, it's 2019. <laughs> Where were you, you know, 12 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, some of the younger folks run rings around me on that platform. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing is you, you meet a lot of interesting people through Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Different, different background, different generation. But yeah, just look me up on LinkedIn. Although I've got a funny sounding name, I'm Indian, so there's a billion people with my name. So, but I'll pop up. Yeah, I'll pop up early. It should be, be like awesome. the first few. It'll and be first few. It's hard few. to miss. It's hard to miss. It's so hard I'll, to miss. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. But yeah, happy to happy to um, connect and and you know help out wherever I can. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, we're wrapping up, and um, I would love to have you back because one of the things I didn't get a chance to ask today was actually mixing. Um, how do you balance family? and working in startups and also Oof, growth. That that's one's a, a topic one. in of itself. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but definitely gonna probably going to pick out a couple of family people to talk about that one because um, I'm interested in that one, not because I have kids yet, but you know I will have to think about it in the future, right? But anyway, thank you so much for today. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Ciao.